Hello everyone and welcome to King's Talk presented by Capsity Crown. This is Tony with me as always. We've got Don. After a hard-fought battle against the Warriors last Tuesday to win the West Group C and go to the NBA in-season tournament, so pumped to get there, but they get bounced in the quarterfinals against the Pelicans. I don't think it was that close of a game after a certain point, although the Kings made it close. And just, you know, kind of a lackluster game performance for the Kings in that game. John, how are you feeling? How are you, you, you upset that the Kings will not be the inaugural NBA Cup champions? Well, I think they should be a little upset because, I mean, that would have been really good, like, practical experience for the playoffs. I mean, those are basically just a bunch of little simulations of Game 7 scenarios. And you saw it against the Pelicans. They couldn't really mount a complete run. There'd be times where their offense was scoring, but they weren't getting stops. And then there were points where they were getting stops, but they couldn't, you know, mount any kind of a comeback or anything like that because their offense wasn't really doing anything. They turned the ball over a lot. They basically, with turnovers late in the first quarter, kind of had the air sucked out of them. And then the Pelicans basically answered everything the Kings tried to do, and they basically were just doing a stiff arm to the Kings the whole game and never allowed them to get within you know within stride of them and it really did kind of feel like after the first three quarters of the first quarter like it was kind of a kind of a subdued performance a little bit of not not necessarily a boring game but not all that exciting you know the pelicans really held them at bay and it was kind of one of those things where the kings really could have benefited from that experience and in losing in this way it kind of does set up a a situation where you're kind of looking at this team and going like, are they legit championship contenders? And there's a multitude of reasons why you could ask that, that we'll get into. I know they seem like they are championship contenders as long as they don't face the new Orleans Pelicans in the playoffs. Cause they have our number. I mean, three and O and they just seem to have, like, you know, I, I mean, the games were close at points, not that first game. That was a terrible game. You know, the second and third game, they were a little closer, but it just seemed like the Kings didn't have an answer for them. The length of the Pelicans was just glaring, a glaring issue for the Kings, and they really contained Fox. And man, when Sacramento's three ball stops falling, a lot of it kind of just halts their offense. I think they just need kind of like a con, uh, contingency plan for if that three's not dropping, because they just keep jacking them up. And I get it, shooters got to shoot, right? But I mean. Sometimes it's just like, yeah, Fox and Sabonis are our boys or our scorers when the three ball's not dropping, right? Because, I mean, they're kind of just three three point shooters around them, right? But I don't know. I, I wanted to see them get a little more into the paint last night. I guess Monk, too. Monk fits that category with Sabonis, Fox. I don't know, man. The three ball was so hot in that first quarter, and then I feel like it just went absolutely cold. Yeah, they. I mean, they got crushed in paint points they they had 38 to new orleans 52 and again it was just like the length was just ridiculous i guess and i mean fox had six turnovers five of which came in the first half i think monk had three they really did a good job and i think what fox still had a good game in the scoring column but Mm -hmm. i mean overall he was contained to a certain degree because he didn't he and Monk really weren't allowed to kind of like open things up. And, you know, that that poses a lot of issues. On top of what Mike Brown said after the game, which is his team's just not running as hard as 
they did a year ago. And, you know, we spent a lot of time at various points in this early part of the season saying with all this emphasis on defense and everything like that, it's really affecting the offense. And I mean, when you're not running hard, that might be one of the biggest diminishing factors to the offensive production because they're supposed to be one of the best fast break teams in the league. And they're in the bottom five, I think, in fast break points. And they can't produce better threes like by running hard in transition by trying to get downhill and go towards the basket you know it creates the spray threes which are huge parts of this offense and they're not able to do that and it diminishes them both inside and outside and overall their offense just doesn't look as powerful when they're not running as hard and it kind of again kind of raising that question of like in terms of being a playoff team in terms of maybe potentially winning a playoff series of course the kinks can do that but like if we're talking about like championship ambitions i mean there's a lot of concerns when you start putting that as the goal and one of them is is them trying to balance that two-way effect where they're a slightly above average defense and maybe a closer to the top 10 offense and it's hard to find that balance and you can see it in the way that they're moving. I mean, the pace is so important again to this team, and it's just been a little, it's got its hands tied behind its back. It's just, it's doing other things. And so maybe the time off is going to be a good thing for them, you know? Give these guys an early rest into the season. I know they've only been playing basketball for less than a month and a half, but, you know, a break's better than no break, I suppose. So unless unless you're trying to win the NBA Cup, but it's not a bad thing. I'm not, you know, championships always a goal. I wouldn't say the NBA Cup is. I'm still, you know, a little upset. Not like upset. You know, I'm, I'm bummed that they got eliminated in the first round after going four and zero in their group. But yeah, you know, like you were saying, they're the Kings are showing. I mean, that's the most important game they've had in December probably ever. And they just didn't, they just didn't look good. And I don't know, is that concerning for the playoffs like you were talking about? I get it. It's only one game series and unlike the best of seven in the playoffs, but still you, you expected to come out with a little more, uh, what's the word? Like energy. And they did come out energized, but they kind of fell off quickly. So I don't know. What, like, what, what's your biggest concern over the loss against the Pelicans in the quarterfinals? I mean, just the fact that they look a little gassed and beat up. I mean, they are. And again, like you ask, they asked Darren, Darren Fox after Monday's loss, if a little bit of time off would be good for him. Cause we talked about it last week. Like, you know, rhythm is huge in basketball and, you know, getting that week off might be bad for a lot of teams or it might be looked upon as kind of a bad thing. And Fox was like, yeah, anytime you have extended time off before a game, it makes it harder. But given the circumstances of where they're at in terms of their adjustment, like they need that. And also Fox's ankles obviously still bothering him. He said after the game on Saturday that his ankle was limiting him a little bit. And, you know, he's won two conference player of the week since coming back from that ankle injury, but clearly there's still something kind of holding him back there. He's not clearly a hundred percent and who is a hundred percent sure, but you know, you could see it, in other ways in that Denver game, he's talking about his ankle bothering him in that game. You could see it on the defensive end. He had like a slow contest. I think he forced help a few times that produced easy shots for the opponent. And he was not as quick getting around or through screens. You could see him kind of limited a little bit. So I think it's funny for Fox. I mean, he's such a competitor. He's going to say that, you know, 
not having the ability to kind of stay in a rhythm is going to be hurtful. But I mean, ultimately, it's probably it might help him more than anybody. I mean, the only person that it might help more is Keegan Murray, who's clearly still not 100% from his back injury. Left in the mm-hmm. second quarter of the Pelicans game before coming back in the second half, but was getting treated, getting that lower back treated all game on the bench with like the heating pad thing. And, you know, he he said, I think, after the game, you know, it's not that he re-aggravated it. It's basically just the same. So which that's almost to say that it really never got better 100%. And then, you know, Chris Duarte missed that game with a sore knee and he didn't play in the game prior. He wasn't on the injury report for that game, but you have to think that there's a possibility that that's tied to a knee thing. So, like, rest is clearly going to be good for them. But it then raises the question of, like, well, are they going to have to like, – they're going to have the all-star break again, but are they going to be a team that relies on on breaks? Because as good as a break could be for them, how far is that going to take them? Is that going to give them a th- three-week jolt where they play great and then start feeling it again? I mean, that's, like, the question. It's, like, how sustainable is this going to be? Is this, like, a yearly – like, a like a one-year process where they're going to have to adjust and be ready next year? Or are they going to all of a sudden whip into shape and really take advantage of a week off? I mean, that almost seems kind of optimistic, you know? Because, like, you start talking about the help of having time off. It's just like, well, are you going to need that all the time? Because you're not going to have that, especially come playoff time. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I hope it doesn't affect him too much. Just, you know, and it won't affect him in the sense that, you know, I mean, take, take it in breaks. I think it will help them with all, you know, these kind of lingering injuries that the team's facing right now. But, you know, I, I get what you're bringing up. I don't know. I, I, I don't see it as that big of a deal. Um, I mean, of course, any team's going to be play better, like a little more energized after a week off. I don't think they're going to be relying on it. Like they're going to, April's going to come. They're like, oh man, I really wish we had another week off. I mean, they know, they know what's ahead of them. They know that they won't have another week off like this until the all-star break. And then they know after that, they won't have another week off until the season ends or the postseason ends. So, but I get what you're saying. Like, are they just going to come out really well after this break, play super well until they near the all-star break, play worse, and then play better after it? Um, I don't know. I, I I personally don't think it it's going to be the biggest issue, but, I mean, they'll probably play a little worse the farther from the breaks they get. So, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the troubling thing. Now, of course, it's like it's a process of getting to the top. So maybe if you're being 100% realistic, you're not really betting on the Kings winning a championship this season. But if you are, you have to be troubled by the fact that, you know, when it, when it comes to winning a championship, you got to be pretty damn good on both ends of the floor. You have to bring it at a point in the season where, again, like you said, you're far from any rest time. And the Kings just haven't even proved that they can really kind of produce that way at all. And maybe they do after a break, but... It's just like if they can't do it now, if they if they're not showing that they can kind of like continue to progress without needing kind of intervals of rest, it's like that just doesn't bode well for their chances beyond around one situation. So I don't know. I just think that feeds into a lot of the different concerns that kind of come up in terms of the grand scheme of this season. But it it just seems kind of like one of those things where it's like. You know, the, Mike Brown says all the time this team's capable of 
being a, an above average defense and a pretty good offense. But the timeline on that is really the one in question because the further and further you go into the season and you don't see it and you, you start seeing them look a little tired, look a little gassed. They always struggle with back-to-backs. You know, it's like one of those things where it's like, do they have it in them? Do they have it in the tank to be able to do that? So I think that's definitely a question to consider. Yeah, no, this is a good question too. And I mean, that kind of brings back to your point of playing both sides of the ball. They're getting tired, more tired easily. Um, Cause I, I don't remember back to backs being this big of an issue last year. I thought they were actually kind of decent in the second game of back to backs. I don't know. I, I don't have the stats on that, but I, I don't remember them being this bad where they just look absolutely terrible in the second game. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's. Yeah. And they, they looked horrible too. Like you cite that first New Orleans game and in, in, down in uh, the big easy. That was a road back to back. They looked horrible. They played the Clippers this week. On a back-to-back, sure they were emotionally spent from the Warriors game, but it's like they were abysmal. That was just such a that they had, you could tell early on that they had no chance. Now, granted, James Harden had his best game as a Clipper up until then, but I mean the Kings just were lifeless, and it's just like again these guys get spent, they get they get gassed, and and you can see it. Yeah, and maybe that's like a, a coaching thing that needs to change. Is that if Brown and, and like I said, there's nothing wrong with more defense. Like defense wins championships. If the Kings want to be a real title contender, then their defense is going to have to get better. But is Brown going to have to, I guess, kind of uh, switch up this offense a little to slow down their pace, to slow down their fast breaks? Maybe not be so reliant on that because again, their defense looks better this year, and uh, you, you can tell they're putting a little more defense in it at points, but. I mean, they they're they're getting they're slowing down uh, on the offensive end, like you've said, uh, and he, they're just getting more fatigued from playing both sides of the floor harder. I don't know if he wants them to, he, if he wants them to put so much energy in the defense, which he should. Is he going to have to slow it down on the offensive end? Maybe go a little more half court than up tempo. Yeah, but then now you're talking about offensive problems getting worse because. I mean, this team is playing its best offense when it is running the floor and and opening things up with pace. So, I mean, this is just... But how, how sustainable is that, though? I get it. They are playing their best. I mean, of course they are. But if they want to... But they're getting fatigued. Their defense either lacks or their offense lacks when they're putting more energy in one side. And if Brown really wants to focus on this defense... I mean, then I'm not saying the offense has to suffer, but maybe their their pace is going to have to go down a little, and they're going to have to score less points per game, but play more half, maybe not more, yeah, just closer to the half court, I guess, type of tempo. Either way, either way you cut it, it's just they're 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 not championship contenders. That's just not it. You you got to win it with both. That's true, and that's why it's just like it's a long process, and that's kind of a good transition to appraising Keegan Murray's year two so far because we talked about it all summer and coming into the season that you know a lot does depend on Keegan Murray's development how far the Kings can go depends on how far Keegan goes because you know they look at him as being kind of that third star potentially obviously I don't think they were expecting him to jump right into that and do it perfectly but in terms of kind of being more of a 
creator, be more of an offensive threat on his own. We just haven't seen that. And I know he's dealing with the back injury and everything like that, but when you start seeing the length of New Orleans bother guys like Monk and, and, and Fox, and again, they, they both had pretty good, I mean, Monk more so because he had an efficient night and scored, I think, 21. And, you know, they were fine in the scoring column and all that, but again, it was about that kind of creation for other guys. And nothing really happened. And it would have really been kind of a situation where, you know, with the ambitions for Keegan Murray, you'd like to see that be the type of game where he kind of steps in and makes a bit of a difference. I mean, the Kings never really looked like they were making a complete run to actually retake the, the lead in that game. But it was still a manageable deficit. I mean, I don't think the Pelicans ever increased their lead above 15 points. And there were points where, you know, the Kings got it down to single digits and were in a position to attack. And had you gotten a little bit more self-production out of Keegan Murray, that would have been great. Now, I'm not saying that he he should have done that or that he's even capable of that. But it raises the point that it's like, in a lot of ways, the Kings can only go so far as Keegan Murray can make the leap he wants to make. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's just like, how long is that going to take? And again, yes, the back injury is a factor. But even before the back injury, it looked like a lot of ironing out was needed. I mean, in terms of his hesitation, sometimes he looks unsure of himself. Sometimes his drives to the rim are not impressive. And I don't know. I mean, like, it's a lot to tie together. He's doing things on both ends. I mean, he's almost a microcosm for the team in that sense that he's trying to do you know, more on the offense than he did in his rookie season while also trying to do a lot on defense. And he has done a lot on defense, but you see him shooting, I think, below 40% from the field and around 30% from three this season. I don't know. I mean, like in terms of kind of taking this time to assess whether or not the Kings are legit championship contenders, I think a lot of that has to come with being realistic about where Keegan Murray is at in his development. And can he get to where he wants to be? I think so. How soon is that going to happen? It seems like this is this is going to be a massive adjustment that's going to take more time than anything he's really had to prove. I mean, he's shown that he can adjust to the NBA game and all that stuff and kind of fight through adversity. But this is a big ask, and this is a huge jump. I mean, you're basically asking him to be the third best player on the team, and that's not easy. And again, will he do that one day? I would bet on it. And will the Kings be really good because of that? Absolutely. But is that going to happen this season? I'm not convinced. Are you? No, not yet. I mean, he he hasn't he hasn't shown anything. Yeah, we saw his uh his NBA Summer League and that was just fantastic. Again, he's playing against Summer League talent. But it was promising. It's like, okay, like he he can do these kind of things maybe. And he just, he hasn't really, he's evolved in more of a two-way player. I mean, his defense has been pretty great in some games. But I haven't really seen him do anything on the offensive end other than being that catch-and-shoot guy, which isn't, I mean, unless you're, guess you're Clay Thompson. I mean, it's just not really going to, it's not going to be that third guy that you really need, that the Kings need to score. You know, as a scorer, yeah, like you said, his clips are down. He's not shooting as well. And I think a lot has to do with maybe that back injury and him giving so much more energy on the defensive end. But like away from the three point line, he just he hasn't done anything like he I don't know. He's not I haven't seen him take one good shot creation, maybe a step back here and there. 
But other than that, I mean, his his drives to the rim are atrocious. It's like he's just, I don't know, he's second-guessing himself like every step to the rim he takes on a drive. And he just throws up like the, the weakest layup. Like, go up strong. He had a, he had one against the Pelicans the other night against Ingram where he just like slowly walked in and just kind of threw it up there and missed. I'm like, dude, like you're a strong athletic guy. Mm-hmm. Go up, go up with it. And I mean, even just try to throw it down or draw some contact at that point. And, and if he wants to be, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. well, just I mean, on that play specifically, I mean, you, we're talking about Mike Brown saying they're not running as hard. One of the things he said is oftentimes you'll see guys kind of stop at the wing or the kind of like free throw line extended which is that line of the free throw line base uh, sideline to sideline kind of pause there and not go into the paint which would create spray threes in that situation you're talking about had he just gone to the rim he may have forced help from somebody i think barnes was in one corner and herder was going to the other corner had he forced help he either you know could have put up the shot and got to the line or had a better chance of you know making it because he would have been a little more confident at it or more likely and what Mike Brown would love to see is he could have sprayed it out, you know, created just enough space for the guy in the corner. And he didn't do that. The indecision not only hurt himself, but he hurt opportunities for people around him. And it really limited what could have happened in that play. Sorry to interrupt. No, it's okay. I mean, it's, it's a great uh, analysis of the play. He's just, he hasn't shown anything on the offensive end. And yeah, I, I mean, this team does rely on, is relying on him in that next step to be that championship contending team. And he just hasn't really shown it. And I don't blame him. I mean, it's a big ask. But, I mean, he's he's only gotten worse on the offensive end this year at all. Like, if anything. So, that's not a good look either. I, I, I think he has it in him. I just don't know if it'll come around this year. I just, I, I just want to yeah. see him be more confident as a player. He just seems timid. I, I hate watching him dribble. Really, even just like taking the ball up the court, even just for like two seconds before he passes, he doesn't look even confident dribbling there. Or he, his technique doesn't look good as form. He has a long way to go still. And again, it's just like, this isn't like a doom and gloom, like the Kings need to blow it up. Obviously, that's not the case. But it is a realistic kind of assessment of where they're at and where they can be this season. And it's just like, I don't know. I mean, that... The, that again, my, Curry, Keegan Murray is almost a microcosm of the whole team in that there's that effort on both ends. It's affecting both ends in a certain way, most of the offensive end. And the Kings clearly view Keegan Murray as a huge part of what they're going to be able to do if they are going to be a championship team. And until he gets there, you know, the, I don't know if the, I don't know if the Kings are convincing or 100% legitimate contenders. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they they're just not. They're just missing that extra guy, that third guy. Monk's been great and we'll get to him in a second. Herder looks great at moments, but they need a consistent guy, especially in the starting lineup who's going to throw up 18 a game consistently and that's what they're just really lacking right now. That's why they they talk about that third star is so important for them. And mm-hmm. they I don't know. Like it, it's nice waiting on Murray. He has that potential, but is it going to be this year? I, I mean, it's starting to look like no, more and more like a no at least. Next year, I guess we'll have our hopes up then again. But he just—I don't know. I, I just want to see his confidence get up. And everyone—I I think I hear Brown talk about how 
Oh, it's like he might not look like he just has the same expression, but, you know, he's a killer. And I think yeah, maybe it's not Brown, but I don't know if it's players or who says it. But it's like, no, I think it is affecting him. He's just kind of like a he just comes off as kind of a quiet guy and it just kind of reflects his game really reflects that. He just needs to <laughs> just be more confident and bold. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. But, you know, bef- before we transition to maybe a more positive topic, I think this is a good opportunity to bring up, you know, we're talking about Keegan Murray here, and there'd be a lot of people that would, would go ahead and point to Harrison Barnes, who I think only got up three shot attempts on Monday for four points. And, you know, we I think there was a point a couple of weeks ago in November where he had a five-game stretch where he looked particularly, you know, unspectacular and kind of just there. And there's been times where he kind of looks like that, but I do think that over the last couple of weeks, he's looked a little bit more engaged and having these lapses where he makes like a silly mistake or looks slow on defense or something like that. I think his, his defense has been pretty solid. I mean, like he's doing the best, he did the best he could on Zion. And I think him and Sabonis were better at accomplishing double teams on him, but it's fair to bring up the point that Harrison Barnes doesn't really produce. I mean, he's the third highest paid player on the team. He, you know, any scorn or ridicule he gets for not producing, I think to a certain extent is fair. I mean, we've done it. A lot of people do it. It makes a lot of sense. He's a starter. He's a veteran. He's paid like a like he should be producing. But Mike Brown said something interesting when asked two questions about Harrison Barnes after Monday's loss. He said, you know, he clarified for everybody. He's like, I don't know if you guys know this, but I don't call any plays for Harrison Barnes. You know, he's supposed to be getting his shots, open shots through the rhythm of the offense. And whatever comes to him will come to him. Meanwhile, he's going to be taking on tough defensive assignments and rebounding. And I think that's that's kind of fair. I mean, we've we've said that about Barnes. He's kind of like a, a putty, kind of like fills in the cracks of what's left over and stuff like that and can kind of do that stuff. And he did a really good job of that last season. Maybe he's lacking in it a little bit this season. But I almost want to ask the question, you know, he's a veteran. He's proven to be a pretty good scorer and a you know good catch-and-shoot guy. And he is the third highest paid player on the team. Do you think they should be calling plays for Harrison Barnes? I mean, I, I don't see why not. <laughs> How many points did he score against the Pelicans? Four? Four, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I get it. I mean, Barnes gets a lot of flack right because he, he goes through these stretches where he puts up games like he did last night but again how many shot attempts did he have four three uh, just three three yeah exactly so I mean, it's hard to like you know dog on the guy for from what brown said right he, he's not getting drawn up any play so it's like why he's only shooting it three times it's not like barnes is a guy who's not going to shoot the ball if he has an open shot that dude shoots the ball He's just not getting any opportunities to make plays. And I mean, yeah, draw, draw this guy up some plays or just, it doesn't have to be like a crazy play. I think he's great in the low post. I mean, maybe make that a focal point, especially when the Kings need a bucket. There was a couple times in that Pelicans game where the Kings were getting the stops they needed against the Pelicans and they could not buy a bucket on the other side of the floor. That's when Barnes, I think, is at his best, really, is when the Kings need a bucket. He'll go in that low post, and he'll draw a foul. And I get that's not a shot attempt, technically, right, unless he makes it an and one. But it it, it would have been helpful, really, and especially Herter. He, he seemed to go cold from three as the game went on. Barnes, I mean, he, the dude can score. He threw up, what, 15 
the last like four years with the Kings. He could do that easily this year. I get it. They want to give Murray more looks. They want to get Herder more looks, or maybe Herder the same amount. But I mean, get Barnes involved a little more because, I mean, they could have definitely used some of his offense in that game of the, against the Pelicans, and they chose not to. And it also brings up another question: if they're not going to bring up, or they're not going to, they're not going to draw plays for Barnes. Like, why do we resign him then? Like, wouldn't you rather have just gone for like a more defensive-minded small forward slash power forward in free agency last year? I don't, I don't know if one was available, but like, if Barnes ain't scoring on offense, I mean, I don't think Barnes is a terrible defender, but he's not like the best one ever. I get it; he's versatile and he, you know, he stands his ground as best as he can. But there's definitely a lot of better options out there for defense and that I don't know I get it he's a great three-point shooter but if he's only putting up three shots like he did in an important game the most important game in December like what's the point what's the point of having him is that how it's going to be in the playoffs like I'd really just have a great defender yeah I mean I think also it's like in terms of calling something for Barnes I mean he recognizes the talent around him and he is going to just wait for a shot to open things up it's like you almost want to facilitate a little bit more of a team-wide aggression, and, and doing that would be good. And you mentioned the ability to get to the line, and sometimes he does that on his own accord. I think there have been times this season where you'd like to see him do that, and he doesn't do it. But, I mean, if you're talking about a situation specifically like the one you know against the Pelicans were later in the game where they were getting stops, you know, if Barnes did, I mean, I don't know 100%. You know, I never played in the NBA, <laughs> never coached in the NBA. I don't know if it's normal to try to have a play call for a guy to try to just get to the line like Barnes, but that would have not have been a bad thing because not only would you have given yourself an opportunity to get some points that they were not getting with just normal shot attempts and trying to you know, produce good looks with the offense, you'd be getting the shots with the free throws, and that would also be facilitating better defensive play because you know the Pelicans would have to be taking it out from the net You'd have a set defense, all of that. But also, another thing about calling plays for Barnes is that, you know, you'll see Barnes get a few DHO3 opportunities, but if Mike Brown's not calling plays for him, then obviously that is just being produced through the rhythm and the reads of the offense. But he does call DHO3s for Kevin Herter and, and Keegan Murray. And, you know, I mean, he, like, he calls a DHO3 for Kevin Herter to start, like, every game for the last couple of games. So... Maybe doing that for Harrison Barnes wouldn't be such a bad thing to allow him to kind of build a little bit more of a rhythm. Because sometimes you'll see him hit a three when that kind of is produced at one point. You'll see him hit a three or two early in the game. But then maybe that three-point rhythm doesn't really kind of sustain itself throughout the the remainder of the contest. So maybe getting him more involved or calling plays for him more throughout the game. And it doesn't have to be a lot. It could be like one, two, three a game. Maybe that would help him. And again, it would facilitate his aggression, facilitate his rhythm, and really facilitate the whole offense. So it's got to be something to maybe consider. Yeah, it, it really does. He, he's more than capable of scoring. He has a, you know, a good track record. The dude can score, like I said, 15 a game if they, he was given the opportunities. I understand the need to get Murray and Herder to score. They have a higher ceiling, but. I mean, you can't just throw Barnes on the back burner and then get mad at him when he's not shooting well or not scoring a lot of points. He's not really being set up to succeed on the offensive end of the floor. So, 
I mean, he, he, Barnes is going to be a vet. He's going to knock down three still, but I mean, he, he's better than that, and I think they should give him more opportunities. I think so. But, you know, we were talking about Keegan Murray a little bit, and he's got a ways to go before he can become that top three player on the team. But until he does that, it seems like the third best player on the team, especially this season, uh, is Malik Monk, who is probably the one topic that we can be a little positive about because I think Malik Monk has made a better case for himself for six man of the year, even better than last season. And I mean, he's just been, been terrific. He's the spark plug. He's the closest thing to Fox in terms of, you know, turning a corner, getting into the lane and either creating for himself or others. And the great thing about Monk is he likes to do the latter more than anything. He loves to lob it up, spray it out, dump it off. And, you know, he's also a lot like Fox in the sense that he's actually leading the team in clutch points this season. I believe in total clutch points in the league, he's number 10. So he's in the top 10 as a bench player. He's the only bench player in the top 10 in terms of clutch points. I mean, I got like a couple of questions about Malik Monk because we we don't need to sit here and celebrate him. Everybody knows they watch him and he's, he's terrific. and He's a fan favorite and, you know, raising his standing and reputation around the league for a reason. But it's like one can't like, is he, is he on his way to winning six man of the year? And two, it being a contract year and, you know, essentially I, I would believe that the Kings would really want to keep him and he would want to stay with the Kings. How much is he going to get paid this offseason? Yeah, I mean, a good amount. At least 20 mil, you'd think, right? I mean, who, who's the... Uh, Malcolm Brogdon won the uh, sixth man of the year last year, and I know he wasn't on a contract year. And he's he's getting paid like 22 a year, but that's on the contract that he signed with the Pacers, I think, to be a starter. And then like another guy that you would maybe bring up is like Tyler Hero, who won sixth man mm-hmm. of the year, what, two seasons ago? But he started every game over the last, you know, all of last season and in his eight games this year. So he's a starter. They've never really kind of viewed him as a long-term six-man of the year. So, yeah, I would think about $20 million, 2021 maybe. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And Honey, I mean, I don't He's obviously not – he doesn't have starter minutes. I want to see how many minutes Monk's putting up a game this year. Because, I mean, it's – he's only throwing up 25 minutes a game. I'm surprised. Seems like he's always in there, but I mean he he's just so critical. He's averaging almost fifteen a game. I don't know. I I want to say around twenty million. I think getting to twenty five as a six man of the year, throwing at fifteen points a game, it is important. But I feel like I don't know. The NBA money is always so weird to me now. Like <laughs> how much is Jokic making? Like close to sixty. Like that's crazy. That was so different. Like even ten yeah. years ago. <laughs> so. Um, I don't know. I want to say around 20 million as a six man, as like a top tier six man of the year candidate, he should be making, I think around 20 mil. I don't know how that works with salary going forward. I'm assuming the Kings are factoring and keeping him, but I mean, he deserves it. He's been the third best player all year. I'm at points. He was the third best player, uh, last year on the team, but Man, yeah, I mean, like you said, he's he's been so clutch for this team, and it, it shows in the numbers. I mean, even that shot against the Warriors, that game against the Lakers where they went to OT, he's just been crucial down the stretch. And, I mean, sometimes I'm like, 
man, I'd rather have this guy taking the shots. He, I mean, his even his three-point shot has looked absolutely marvelous this season. He's just such a crucial part of this team. They, they have to do what they have to do to keep him, but it's going to cost you a pretty penny. And you talk about the kind of inflating contracts in the NBA and just kind of how crazy the money is getting. You know, you look at Malik Monk, he's up for a contract. I think Emmanuel quickly is on a team option right now, so he's going to need a contract, I think, at some point soon, if I'm not mistaken. And it's just like, are we going to start seeing like a little trend of high-paid six men of the year? I mean, like, is there going to be a boost there and money doled out to guys like those? I mean, it, it gets interesting, and it's also just like, well, are they going to have to, like, I mean, and then we're talking in the off season, obviously, in terms of working out the money situation. And so maybe they can move them both beforehand in a different trade or something like that, but it's like, are they going to have to, like, move Barnes? Are they going to have to, I don't know. I mean, this <laughs> Malik Monk's raised a lot of questions because he's been so good. I mean, he seems like he's on his way to win, winning sixth man of the year. I mean, he's got to be the favorite. Right I now, know. I imagine he's been. I mean, he's he's been clutch. He's been huge. He's been one of the best players on a really good team. I don't know. I don't know. You know, you almost want to be like, man, this guy could be an all star. I mean, like, I don't think that's obviously going to happen for a bench player, but it's just like he's he's raised a lot of interesting questions about you know the financial aspects of what's to come for this team because he's important and he's key. I mean, he's, he's, he's clearly the closest thing they have to Fox. And like he said, after the Denver win, particularly in late game situations, you can't stop him and Fox. It's very difficult. I mean, ask the Pelicans that, but uh, you know, more often than not, it's a very lethal handful for any defense to deal with in a late game situation. Just again, that's more of a optimistic topic to kind of discuss. Is the Kings sit here in limbo of elimination from the NBA season, in-season tournament? But Malik Monk, Malik Monk's king. My, I didn't know that. How'd you? How'd you learn? I don't know. I feel like I feel like there's some like voice in my head that just says that all the time. Mark Bones Jones. <laughs> that's what they called him in college. <laughs> I learned the other day, I don't know, it, it probably took way too long to learn this as a sports fan, even the, a guy who doesn't watch UFC, but I mean, obviously I know the name John, John Jones, John Bones Jones. Um, <laughs> I, didn't, I had no idea he was Chandler Jones's brother. I didn't know they were brothers. Oh yeah, I feel like I had heard that. I feel like they say that whenever Chandler Jones is like on a primetime game. Chandler Jones, where was he forever? Cardinals? Yeah, Arizona, I feel like. Yeah. Chandler Jones, you know? What a guy. Chandler Jones is just going to take over for Mark Jones calling games. <laughs> he just comes in one day. It's Chandler Jones and, and Katie Christensen here. Katie Christensen and Mark Jones. I chose to listen to them last night instead of the TNT broadcast. I feel like I always go away from national <laughs> TV broadcasts. I don't really like those ones. Uh, I don't mind some of them. Stan Van Gundy is terrible. He is so annoying. I cannot stand listening to him. Some of his commentary is not bad. Some of it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. But, I mean, it was kind of a bad game last night all around. So, I think he was just extra annoying. <laughs> all right, we got just all these turnovers. Yeah, I get it, dude. <laughs> I, I, I see it. It's, it's, it's kind of sloppy basketball on both ends. At, at a point, it kind of got better late in the game, but 
I don't know. I, I can't even tell you the other guy's name on the D&D broadcast. It's Stan Van Gundy and the other guy. Yeah, I don't know who that guy is that calls those games when it's not, you know, a big name. But Stan Van Gundy. You see that bar over there? I got thrown out of there last night. I just want him to, like, say some crazy stuff. He just seems like a crazy <laughs> uncle or something. He's I walked into that joint naked and they told me I couldn't be there. That's ridiculous. Remember when the Pistons hired him as the coach and the GM? Yeah, how dang, how desperate are you guys? <laughs> it's like really, why? Yeah, it's, it's like look what he did when Dwight Howard was one of the most dominant players in the league. Isn't he such a great coach? I'm like, I'm sure he's a decent coach, but it's like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe come bring him in as the head coach and president of basketball operations when he has somebody like Dwight Howard. You know, early 2010s Dwight Howard. Or late aughts, early 2010s Dwight Howard. What's up, Stan? I like his brother better. Jeff. He got laid off, right? Mike Breen, Jeff Van Gundy, and Mark Jackson, right? They all got laid off except Mike Breen. And they brought in Doc Rivers. And they promoted Doris Burke. Now they got Doc Rivers. Interesting. Doris Burke's not bad, but Doc Rivers has got to be kind of annoying. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't really like Doc Rivers. He has a very deep voice. I'm not saying that's the reason I don't like him. It is very deep. How does he talk? He's got like. Is it? Is he like? Because I feel like whenever he was coaching, he'd always like lose his voice in the second half. Okay, we gotta do this thing. You know, he's just like hoarse as hell. And I would just imagine like him doing that during the game. Like his voice is fine in the first half, and it's just gone in the second half. That'd be funny. Doc. Doc, what a guy. His son-in-law is Seth Curry. Yeah, it is, huh? That's crazy. It's funny, these like royal families in basketball. I know, for real. Where's Seth Curry? He's still in Philadelphia, too? I don't know. Isn't he with, uh, is he with Dallas? Is he still with Dallas? He get traded to Dallas? I yeah, he's, cause, yeah, he's back with Dallas this season. Okay. Seth. I don't know. Seth Curry. Just, he's just lucky his brother Steph, or he'd be a nobody. It's just so funny that Steph Curry's got like the baby face and Seth Curry just looks like a like a bum. Dude, I know for real. <laughs> Seth Curry doesn't <laughs> freaking bum. Seth Curry looks like the type of guy that would stop you on the street and try to bum a cigarette off you. <laughs> yeah, hey man, can I get one of those? Like, no. Get out of here. You bum. Steph definitely got the better uh face genetics than Seth. Yeah, Steph looks a little more like his mom, and Seth looks a little too much like Dell. <laughs> <laughs> Del the Curry. double Dell. War Dell. Double Dell, dude. I just War. had a double Dell on Saturday. Best, bur- best really? burger and fast food. Double The double Dell <laughs> at Del Taco. You heard it here first, folks. Go to your local Del Taco. Tell them Tony and John sent you, and you'll get a free double Dell. <laughs> yeah. And then comment what they say. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, record the video and send it to us. <laughs> oh, my God. But I guess one more topic for today. Uno Mas? Uno Mas. Because we don't, we don't live Mas. We're about that Del Taco life, not that Taco Bell life. Uno Mas topic. Um, you know, Trey Lyles got into it a little bit with uh, Jonas Valanciunas kind of like battling with him in a box out situation and they were kind of chippy going up the floor 
and uh, I, you know it, it harkened back obviously to his his uh, situation with Brooke Lopez. Which is funny because it was actually kind of funny listening to Katie Christensen and Mark Jones go like, "What did he? Who was that against? Was that Rudy Gobert last season?" Like they they didn't remember the specific. Oh, that's of the funny. Thing. They might have just been. They were obviously just just blanking, but they they were like, "Who was it?" And it took took a while for them to figure out that it was. In their defense, I I because I, I was listening to TNT, so I didn't hear that uh, part because I wasn't listening to them, but. I, I was totally blanking too. It took me forever. I'm like, who? I thought it was Valanchunas. Cause I'm like, was it Valanchunas? I'm like, is this the second time? But I looked it up. I'm like, oh, it was Brooke Lopez. So yeah. Right. In their defense, I didn't know either. Okay. Yeah. So there was a cosmic brain fart that affected multiple people. Fair. Not any problem on them. But it, the situation with Valanchunas again, uh, harken back to that situation with, uh, Brooke Lopez last season. And, um, you know, it just seems like Trey Lyles, you know, we called him the glue guy, but if you wanted to give him another moniker, I mean, he's, he might be the attack dog. Dude. You think that's a pretty fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. I and mean, what do you think that, what do you think that does for the team? I mean, like, how do you think that benefits the team? And do you think it is just all beneficial? Yeah, I, for sure. Especially the way Trey Lyles does it. He's not like, uh. I mean, I think he's the enforcer, the attack dog enforcer kind of guy. He's going to back up his guys, maybe back himself up like he did. Uh, you know, he's not going to let the team get pushed around. I don't think he's, um, what's the word? Like, uh, I mean, man, I, I can't think of the word off the top of my head. But, you know, he's not like, um, <laughs> I'm just going to stick to it. Um, what's the word? Like, he knows what he's doing. He's not going to do anything crazy and get himself suspended. Or maybe if he does, it's for a game because he could have very well got ejected last night for that play. But like, like Draymond, I'd say he's a little like reckless, I guess. Maybe that's the word I'm trying to think of. I think sometimes it's like, yeah, there's a lack of composure. Yeah. You're saying there's an element of composure. Mm-hmm. He, loud. Yeah. He's not going to do anything crazy. He's going to stand up for his guys, stand up for himself, but you know, not get suspended for five games for putting Rudy Gobert in a headlock kind of thing. So, uh, I love it. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's nice knowing that a guy on that team exists and has your back through it all. So I love Lyles and that's another reason why Lyles is such a fan favorite too. He's just, he's just so great at being a great teammate. And I think that really shows who he is. Yeah. I, I remember when the Brooke Lopez thing happened, I was a little concern. I was like, you got to maintain, I think in terms of composure, there was a little bit lacking in that Brooke Lopez situation, but I definitely see what that does in terms of team chemistry and bond when you know someone's got your back. And you saw JaVale McGee, I think Trey Murphy was kind of, or somebody, it wasn't Trey Murphy, but somebody on, you know, they were checking in at the same time Lyles was about to check in and he was kind of like chirping to, to, to Lyles and JaVale McGee came up and defended him. So it kind of creates this kind of nexus of that. It, it leads in. So one guy defends him, then another guy's going to come in and defend him. Everybody's got each other's back. And also, it's just like, you got to kind of give Lyle some respect because, I mean, like after the, the game on Monday, Trey Murphy was like, you know, asked about that situation with Lyle's and Valanchunas. He was like, there wasn't going to be anything happening. We all know who the big dog was in that fight. And it's like, yeah, okay, Valanchunas is bigger and maybe he could thump Lyle's, but it's like, that makes it all the better that Lyles is fearless going up against the bigger guys. And Mark Jones and Katie Christensen said it. They're like, he's not going after point guards. He's going after guys that are bigger than him. You know, a seven footer in Brooke Lopez, a seven footer in Valanchunas. 
And it's just like that feeds into it even more. The fearlessness, the I'm bought into what me and my teammates are trying to do. And we're going to go ahead and command the respect that we deserve and make sure we're heard and people know where we're at. So, yeah, (laughs) and that's awesome. You know, and it was also funny because on the NBC broadcast, they had that thing where they talked to Matt Barnes early in the second and early in the fourth. And in that second quarter, they were asking him about Alvarado and whatnot because Alvarado was a pest. And Mike Brown said he changed the game in a big way, and he did. But they they were asking Matt Barnes, like, what would you do about Alvarado? And, you know, Matt Barnes in typical Matt Barnes fashion was like, well, you just got to make him know that you're there. You got to someone's got to like run through him, just kind of like remind him of where, you know what this thing is and all that stuff. And uh, in in terms of embodying that kind of gritty uh, fight, I mean, Trey Lyles does it pretty well. And again, he's not doing it against a small guy like Alvarado. He is taking on the biggest of the big. So, you know, even if I had some questions about composure in the Brook Lopez thing, this situation with Valanciunas does kind of highlight the fact that it's like, man, Trey Lyles is commanding a lot of uh, support and respect from his teammates. And that's got to be something that they feed off of. So being the attack dog, I think is a little necessary. And we've talked about it a little bit before, like who can be that enforcer and whatnot. We've seen Fox be an enforcer and kind of, kind of do stuff like that. And I think you needed like a supplementary guy like Lyles to kind of help bolster that sort of uh, mentality within the team. So in terms of Lyles being a glue guy, he just continues to do it in so many ways. Yeah, he's great at that. He, he He's the ultimate glue guy. And that's why I said, I mean, I think he's like one of those pieces that he's an untradeable piece. Because he just, the intangibles he offers for a guy that his role is not maybe the largest. Still an important role off the bench in basketball terms. But what he does off the court's, you know, even more important per se. And it's, you know... It's it's great. You you can't get rid of that. Yeah. He is a fighter. It's like also one of those things where it's like in terms of being a fighter, like he just in, in having your teammates back. I always harken back to the fact that when Fox, you know, at first didn't get the all-star nod, of course, eventually he, he got basically one of the reserve spots or whatever. But when he didn't get the initial bid, Trey Lyles was like the first one to go to social media saying that this was bullshit. And... Again, I just, I don't think there's enough that can be said about that. He's just, you know, the team obviously has a good bond, but he, he, he kind of like adds a little extra spice to that. And that's, that's huge when you start talking about the heat of competition and whatnot, staying together. No, it's, it's, dude, Trey Lyles. I mean, I, everyone loves Trey Lyles. It's a Trey day. Trey day. He should get no. drinks free in Sacramento. Dude. He should. If I owned a bar, if I saw Trey Lyles walk in, I'd be like, all right, Trey. Drinks on the house, dude. I know we're only barely breaking even here at this bar, but I'm willing to go bankrupt just to give Trey Lyles free drinks for life. (laughs) Who else, right? Who would you rather give free drinks to? Trey Lyles or uh, Colby Jones? Come on. (laughs) Come on, with a name like Colby, you know you gotta you gotta get out of it. We don't serve your kind here. People named Colby, we don't we don't serve your kind. <laughs> with like, a name like the, Colby, you go ahead, you hit the back door. That's what you did. He, you ID check him. You're the bouncer. <laughs> Excuse me, you have to leave. Like what? I'm of age. Oh yeah, we don't we don't allow Colbys in here. He points to the sign. 
<laughs> no Colby's allowed. No Colby's. Colby's need not apply. The man, the myth, the Colby. Yeah. Colby Jones. Who would have thought we'd be talking about him? <laughs> I know. He just he just made his way up. That's what, that's what happens when you have the name of Colby. You just command, you command attention. Yeah, there's a spotlight on you. Yeah, there's a spotlight on you. Couldn't have said it better myself. But I think that's all the topics we have today. The Kings, they don't play for a week. Like we said earlier, they're going to have a nice break. Uh, a lot of time off. Nice time off. Hopefully they get their injuries settled out. King Murray's back. Uh, Chris Duarte's, Chris Duarte's knee, De'Aaron Fox's ankle. Hopefully they come back 100% again on Monday against, I don't know, who do they play on Monday? Do you know? Cause I, I don't actually know off the top of my head. Oh, you're a Kings reporter? You don't know? <laughs> one second, one second, one second, one second. Uh, they play Brooklyn. Brooklyn! Brooklyn in the first of a back-to-back against the Clippers. Oh, great. The Clippers on another back-to-back? Yeah. Great. And they'll have to go down to L.A. for that one. By God. Well, well, that'd be a good test great. for the energy <laughs> and the whatnot. It, it will be. That's a good point. I mean, you'd rather them come in, come in straight to a back-to-back after having the last seven days off. So, who knows? Maybe it'll be helpful. Yeah. But until then. Well, is that it? Yeah, you, you don't want to cap it with anything else? Well, <laughs> I was going to I was going to do the I was doing I was going to do the close, but until then, have a good one. <laughs> you no, you do it. I want to I want to hear you do it. It's all no, 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 no. <laughs> well, I want to thank you as always for listening to Cap City Crowd. And until next time, have a good one. We did it, baby. Oh, whoops.